0: For the few moments we have, we're going to look at uh, John chapter 1, the opening five verses. My plan is to continue with that next week uh, all the way on to verse 14. Uh, but in John chapter 1, we have what begins the prologue to the Gospel of John. Uh, imagine, if you will, for a moment having never opened or read any part of the Bible and you want to read about Jesus and you're told that the Gospels are a good place to begin. Uh, Well, what would you find? In Matthew and in Luke, they begin with the birth narrative of Jesus' birth in Bethlehem and the angels and the stable and the shepherds and the wise men and all of that. Mark is much briefer. Somebody make sure he catches up and doesn't end up. Yeah, thanks, Nick. (laughs) Um, Gospel of John, right? Chapter 1. Mark is much briefer than uh, Matthew and Luke, and so he just jumps right in with John the Baptist and Jesus being baptized and beginning his public ministry. Uh, those three gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are called the synoptic gospels, to see the same, because they, they kind of cover the same uh, areas. John is completely different, and John begins before Jesus becomes a man. He goes back to the very beginning. And so I'll read the opening five verses there. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So the reading of God's holy word. Prologues are very important. Prologues, whether it's in a book or a movie or any kind of story, they, they give the background foundational information that sets the context for the story that's about to be told. I mentioned at the first service that I have no idea how many times the movie It's a Wonderful Life is shown in the months of November and December, but it must be a lot here in the United States. And the story, the movie begins with a prologue. Uh, The prologue is Christmas Eve, 1945, and after showing several snowy scenes around Bedford Falls, The camera moves to the stars and suddenly numerous prayers are heard on behalf of a man named George Bailey. People asking God to please help George Bailey, please help George. And it's heard by the angels in heaven and where an apprentice angel named Clarence is summoned and is assigned to help George in order for Clarence to gain his wings which he has been unable to do for the previous 200 years. And so in this dialogue that's going on there in the stars that you hear, Joseph, one of the senior angels, begins to show George's story to Clarence in order to prepare him for his mission. And it shows George as a youngster with other boys, and when his brother Harry breaks through the ice, and he falls in and George rescues him and then the pharmacist who's about to send the wrong prescription which would be lethal to the customer and so forth. So those opening few moments of prologue set the scene for the rest of the story. They're so vital. That's what you have here in John's Gospel. Beginning at verse one, the prologue actually goes through verse 18. Where does he begin? It says, in the beginning was the Word. Whereas Matthew and Mark and Luke begin with uh, almost to the point of Christ becoming a man, of Jesus becoming a man, that God the Son becoming a, a man here on earth, John goes way back and echoes the words of Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning. Why? Because to understand who Jesus is, you have to go back. You say, well, go back to Joseph and Mary, no much further than that. Go back to Bethlehem, no much further than that. Go back to King David, nope. Moses, nope. Abraham, all the way back, no. Even before creation in Genesis, the Son of God existed. There never was a time, we understand from this, that the word was not. Jesus had no starting point. I should have say it this way? Because he was given the name Jesus when he became a man. The Son of God had no starting point. The second person of the Trinity had no beginning point. You and I and everything we see in here had a starting point. The pew you're sitting on, that wood, there was a time it did not exist. The, The material in your clothes, there was a time it did not exist. You, there was a time you did not exist. You cannot say that about the Son of God. He always existed. There was no starting point. And then he says, he calls him the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. You probably know that 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 Word is a loaded Word, the the Greek word logos. Now, to the Hebrew-speaking people, they use that term speaking of the one who carried out creation. The Greeks used it as a philosophical term, referring to the rational principle that generated and governs the universe. Well, in in both cultures, Hebrew and in among the Hebrews and the Greeks, Logos conveyed the idea of beginnings, that the Son was there at the beginning, the Son of God. The Word was with God. Jesus is the, the Word the communication. How do you get to know another person? If you looked around here today and you see someone that maybe you've never seen before and you you don't know anything about them, you might can say, well, I assume this person's about this age, uh, you know, I can see the, the size, how tall they are when they stand up. But, but the only way to get to know another person, really, is to talk with that person, to communicate, for them to get to know you, to say your opinions and your ideas and your, your dreams and your past and some of things that have happened to you. That's how you get to know another person is through words, through speech. Jesus is God's speech. Through the Son, God communicates. John Piper, in his brief little daily readings book called The Dawn of Indestructible Joy, he writes, Calling Jesus the Word is John's way of emphasizing that the very existence of the Son of God is for the sake of communication. First and foremost, he exists and has always existed from all eternity for the sake of communication with the Father. One might say in summary, calling Jesus the Word implies that this is God expressing himself to us. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So here is the second person of the Trinity who is with God and is God. This is the doctrine of the Trinity. You'll not find the word Trinity in the Bible. You find the Trinity in the Bible, the concept of the Trinity, that God exists. He is one being in three persons, not three forms of God, not three roles of God, not three expressions or manifestations of God, one God, three persons. R.C. Sproul says of this verse, John one one, this sentence, more than any other passage in Scripture, is foundational for the church's confession of the doctrine of the Trinity, the belief that God exists as three persons. I was teaching a group of international students a number of years ago, none of whom came from any kind of Christian background, and I was going through Genesis, beginning with Genesis, and we encountered the verse, let us make man in our image. And I said, who do you think the us is there? And some said, the animals? I said, no. The angels? No. And I wrote the word Trinity on a board. I said, this word is not in the Bible, but that's making reference to the Trinity. So I said, the Trinity means that God is one being who who it is three persons in one being. Now, you ever tried to explain that to someone who has never heard that concept? How it, you're, maybe if you can remember when you first heard that and thought, this makes no sense. How can that be? One and three at the same time? So they asked the normal question, does he have three heads? And I knew it's going to get a lot worse in just a moment. When I answered no, because he has no body." And just like, they laughed. It was like, this is an American school? First Presbyterian day school? This is what, you know, they, I became suspect at that point. Well, John starts right there. He doesn't build up a lot, he just starts. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. Well, where did John get this idea? He got it from Jesus himself. He had heard Jesus say the I am statements. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection. I am the life. He had been there when Jesus was speaking to the religious leaders and they challenged Jesus saying, you're not, you're not even 40 years old and, and you speak about Abraham as though you knew him. And he answers back before Abraham was, I am and they picked up stones to kill him, why? Because he was using the name that God had given Moses to tell the people was sending him to, to Pharaoh to, to let them go. When Moses said, who do I say is sending me? He said, tell them that I am has sent you. And that's the name Jesus used for himself when he was speaking to those, those re- religious leaders and they knew it and they thought it was blasphemous. Well, let's move on. Jesus was the agent in the making of the world. As it says in verse 3, all things were made through him, and without him, uh, nothing was made that has been made. Uh, So at his birth, Joseph and Mary had been made through him. His disciples were created through him. At his arrest, the Sanhedrin, the Jewish Supreme Court, and the Roman guards had been created through him. Today, you and I, world leaders, those well-known celebrities, media leaders, so forth, all were created through him and by him. You, this morning, have been created through him and by him. You know what that means? It means you depend on him for everything, whether you realize it or not. And that's what John was stating here at the very beginning of his gospel. Verses 4 and 5, "...in him was the life, and the life was the light of men." The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Light and life. Life in the Bible refers not just physical life, but abundant life, eternal life. Light throughout the Bible is a common reference to the presence of God. We know when they had the tabernacle, the tent of meeting in the Old Testament, they would set that up, and then the Shekinah glory, this light from God, would come down, showing forth that that was His presence. That he was was present. So when the Bible uses the word light, it, that's often what it's talking about. The, it's the very of nature. It's the very nature of light to penetrate darkness. So it says here, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. How did it shine? Well, in the Old Testament, it, it, the light of God would shine through prophecies and poetry and sacrifices and feasts. Today. We know from the Bible, it shines through the general revelation that God exists, that all people look at creation, and even though we can't know the specifics, we'd say, "How, how could this be? There must be a creator, or creators behind the creation. So that's the light of God showing forth His glory, but specifically shines through the person of Christ. But about the creation, I was a fan of Christopher Hitchens. He hated Christianity. Uh, much of it. But he was a blessing to the church. His brother is a Christian, has written a, a lot of books. Uh, I grieved when Christopher Hitchens died of brain cancer years ago. Uh, it's interesting when, when Newsweek uh, wanted a whole edition on the 400th anniversary of the King James Version of the Bible, who wrote it? Christopher Hitchens. How the King James Bible had contributed to, to English uh, language and, and basically culture. But he said, uh, I saw in an interview where he, he said that even as an atheist, what bothered him with the most and what he could not explain was the fine-tuning of the universe. When you look at the chemical composition of, of atmosphere and the human body and amino acids and the distance to the sun from the earth, and that just the slightest variation, as you know, would mean that life as we know it would not exist tiny, incremental changes. That's why even Stephen Hawking says it would be very difficult to explain why the universe would have begun in just this way except as the act of God who intended to create beings like us. There's Stephen Hawking saying it's obvious the universe was created to accommodate us, for us to live here. And to breathe and to, to, to thrive like that. From a scientific standpoint, what is that? That is the general revelation and the common grace insights of the light of God shining. But specifically, it shines through Christ. If you drop down to verse 12, where it says that, But to all who did receive him who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. God tells us that eternal life with him is a gift. Have you received that gift? Well, let's pray together. Father, thank you for your eternal plan that began far before even the creation as we know it, that you are still carrying that out toward a climax when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. We pray in his name. Amen.